Alrighty, we're back. Your favorite podcast show of the week. This is Location Weekly. It's episode number 508. We're recording live on Tuesday, March the 16th. Yes, for all of you out there who do celebrate, uh, happy day before St. Patrick's Day. And uh, yeah, it's uh, spring almost now, officially. Uh, for those over here in this time zone, we've also gone ahead an hour here on changing time the clocks and all of that so people have lost an hour of sleep uh brianna you're still looking great though (laughs) i like it is definitely spring here allergies are starting so i feel very puffy um but thank you (laughs) um yes we did lose an hour of sleep this weekend but it was um it's okay i i enjoy like the longer days and more daylight for sure it is worth the trade-off for a rough couple of days with kids um, but yeah, spring is here, St. Patrick's Day, probably not the typical festivities, but you know, corned beef and grab a Guinness or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, up here, up here, it's the, uh, the thing when I always notice it is cause like I'm, I, uh, you know, if I get coffee, uh, I usually like, I I've switched to McDonald's coffee now, um, and, uh, which I finished off this morning, but the thing I notice at McDonald's when you're going through the drive-through is the up here in Canada. Anyways, I don't know if you guys do this in the states, but we have Shamrock milkshakes, uh, Shamrock oh. shakes here um, for St. Patrick's Day. That's a thing at McDonald's every year uh, for a very short time period, and then it goes immediately from that to Cadbury, uh, you know, Easter egg. Um, you know, are you a fan of the Cadbury eggs? I'm not. I'm not. I only like the mini ones. The mini ones I can, I can. Yeah. Mini ones are, yeah, yeah, mini ones are good. My daughter absolutely loves the mini ones. So she, she buys them, you know, throughout the year, not just at Easter. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. Uh, All right. Well, let's jump into it. We've got a good show, four stories that we want to cover off uh, this week. And I'll let Abriana start us as per usual. All right. Well, um, we're starting off with a story from Google and Google is being very benevolent uh, all of a sudden with they are helping out the travel industry a little bit here. So they are making the hotel search option. Um, You know how whenever you search for a hotel in Google, uh, that typically is is a paid feature for hotels to participate in. And now these listings are going to be cost free. Uh, starting this week, this just launched. And uh, this is great because, you know, travel companies have had a rough 12 months, right? You know, there's been uh, very little travel, a lot less uh, bookings, and it's been probably a rough a rough year for this industry in particular. Um, and so now, you know, users will have more access to a variety of hotel prices and you know, better options as as they pick where they're going to go. And I think people are really starting to think about traveling again soon and we're getting like hopeful about it. Um, and so, you know, they just want to, they're saying that they're really just trying to help help people find what they're looking for as they start to consider traveling and, and meet consumer needs as well as helping the, the travel industry um, kind of get back out there and in front of consumers uh, as people are open to it. So, I mean, good story. This is something that's obviously helpful for those uh, probably like those smaller boutique hotels and things that are um, individually owned, right? Even though they may be franchises uh, that are having a rough time putting, you know, putting people in beds there. So 
I think that this would be, um, you know, it's good that they're they're offering this and being so kind, Google. Oh, you know, Google, always so kind, always so generous, um, you know, with their uh, their time and their technology. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think it's a good thing. I think it's, you know, this is an industry that's been so hard hit uh, by the pandemic. Um, and I think anything that any tech company can do to help uh, them uh, is important right now. And I think, you know, I, I know I can speak here, uh, but our government is doing a lot of work right now in throwing stimulus money at this industry in particular. Um, to try and you know get people excited about coming back as you know vaccines start to take hold, I know a number of the provincial governments here in Canada have been you know the industry associations around travel and the hotel industry and so on uh, have been producing all sorts of videos talking about you know the the safety um, you know innovations that uh, some of these brands have implemented, the contactless everything that's going on. So, so I think it's important that Google step up and kind of help as well uh, and make, you know, this type of search free uh, for people. And, um, you know, I, it's just the right thing to do. I don't have a lot more to add to it. I think that, um, you know, we, um, you know, we all need to figure out what we can do to kind of, you know, help these industries get back on, on their feet. And I think there's a, definitely a notion right now too, um, as we come into, you know, spring and summer, uh, that, uh, you know, at least in the short term, you know, much of the sort of travel industry is going to be focused on domestic uh, travel and kind of within your own country and within your own borders. Um, and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that, you know, being able to kind of see parts of your own country that you've never seen before, um, I think are, are good, um, you know, and, uh, and supporting other businesses that way. And I think this type of thing in terms of being able to find stuff and, and not, you know, sort of have the fees associated with that from a Google point of view, I think is really a really important step forward uh, for the industry. So I, I definitely applaud it. So there you go. All right, uh, shifting over now to our second story, sort of uh, kind of sticking with Google, sort of. Uh, we're going to be talking about Waze ads now. Waze is a Google company. Um, and uh, they've been doing lots of interesting things during the pandemic. Um, and uh, one particular case study that uh, I came across that I wanted to highlight this week is a study uh, with a brand called Mojo Coffee. Um, and uh, so they've been, you know, we've all, most of us have used Waze before to get, you know, from point A to point B and find, you know, where the, uh, you know, the hidden police officers are and, you know, where there's accidents and all sorts of things. Um, but, you know, Waze from an advertising point of view in terms of, you know, when the car stops or you're, you know, you're in a congested traffic, you know, those ads pop up with, you know, recommendations of things nearby. And so Mojo Coffee has been sort of experimenting with that during the pandemic. You know, traffic's down for all of these brands right now. And so finding any way you can to drive more traffic is really important. And obviously Waze can play a role in that. Not that there's, you know, I think overall Waze is, is you know, from an advertising point of view, it has also taken a pretty major hit because there's just not been the foot traffic and the car traffic you know, out there um, because people have been in lockdowns and stay at home orders and all sorts of things. So they've certainly, I'm, I'm sure, seen a, a, a major uh, decrease in ad spend. But that being said, I think they, they will play a major role in the sort of, you know, uh, bounce back as well here in the recovery. Um, 
And this is a good example of that. So anyways, Mojo turned to these guys. Uh, they're using their uh, the location pins uh, within the Waves platform uh, and something called location personality badges, uh, which brands can adjust their pins to indicate that their business has a drive-through or doesn't, you know, or, you know, other key features, maybe, you know, have public restrooms or whatever it is uh, to sort of indicate a little bit more about their location, their brand, uh, that is uh, important to the consumer. Um, and so then uh, they basically uh, use this to drive traffic to their drive throughs And so uh, 26,000 cars pass by Mojo Coffee's Liberty Hill location every day. Um, and they wanted to basically redirect some of these people to the Mojo Coffee drive through And so they kind of popped up these, these pins on the Waze map. Drivers could click on the icons and be directed to, you know, the closest uh, to, to that store in particular. Um, and so I think it's just a neat way to kind of, you know, find new customers or find, you know, just more traffic overall. And uh, I think Waze, you know, has always, you know, played a role in that. But I think especially now as we come into this recovery time, they've got an even bigger role to play. Yeah, I like this. I mean, I definitely use Waze for all the reasons you cited, but I also like seeing the different offers that pop up, like when I am at a stoplight and, and seeing if there's anything new, because I, I feel like typically you see kind of Dunkin' Donuts or Taco Bell, um, something that's more of a standard chain. So seeing something that's not as large of a brand, um, I think is really interesting. And I would say I'm I would uh, come on down to the south because the wrap, like the drive-through lines here, are just wrapped around. I mean, you know, Chick-fil-A inside has been closed for the year pretty much, but um, the drive-through is still open. And I would guarantee that they have better business maybe than they did before, honestly, because every time I go there, like the lines are wrapped around the building, and there's a long wait to go anywhere. Um, it's almost like every drive-through because of the inside being closed is more of um, a high demand. But I will be interested to see like what some of the numbers are as we come out of this. Like what, how, how, how did this impact some of like the, the, the QSR businesses? But I also really like the idea of ways just being able to drive attention. You know, it's local. I think people are very cognizant right now of shopping, shopping local and trying to support local business owners. And if they can do that, you know, maybe above and beyond um, with just a little bit of direction. I think that's a that's a great call out. Yeah, so. and just to, to throw a few numbers in there, as I, I tried to do a little bit of research on this. So I, I found an article that said in April of 2020, so one month into the pandemic, Waze uh, ad revenue fell 60% month over month, uh, you know, due to sort of nobody, no cars out on the streets and traffic down. Uh, in, in September of last year, they reduced their staff by 5% across you know, the company. Um, so they definitely ways definitely you know saw a decrease there, but you know they're they're a small player in the in the sort of ad industry around this type of stuff, right? I mean, revenue for them for the year last year was uh, or in, sorry in 2019 was 200 million. So that you know it's a small relative to say Google or you know other players uh, out there. But I think the interesting thing for me with this example with Mojo and and in general, I think there's an opportunity for for ways to actually emerge. I think coming into this recovery uh, cycle as a as a bigger player than they were. I, I think they, they, they can actually play a, a pretty significant role in the, the meshing of location data, traffic being back on, a, on the streets, and helping the industry, which has suffered and is flush with stimulus money and pandemic you know, uh, money from the governments that, that want to help, 
you know, so I think Waze has an opportunity to capture some of that. Um, and I think that could be a good thing. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. All right. Yeah. Let's jo jump over to uh, the privacy topic now. Um, T-Mobile has made an announcement. Actually, they did not make an announcement. It's been discovered by the Wall Street Journal, surprise, surprise, uh, that T-Mobile subscribers are soon going to be automatically enrolled in a program that will um, sell online and device usage data to advertisers. Um, so Wall Street Journal, I guess they probably keep tabs on all of the privacy policies across carriers and lots of other places. And um, yeah, so so they're going to start sharing this information uh, with marketing agencies starting April 26th, unless customers opt out. So what was interesting is in this story, T-Mobile cites that many subscribers stated that they prefer to have more relevant advertising. And so they used to, where they used to allow, you know, consumers just to opt out uh, or opt into sharing data. Now it's just the default that they're opted in automatically. Um, and this is obviously going the other direction from some of the changes we've seen from, you know, Google and Apple. And, uh, you know, just earlier this month, we had Google saying that it's going to stop selling ads that are based on search and browsing history. Um, they're not building any additional uh, cross app tracking tools in the future they've stated as well and we obviously know that apple is is um you know going to require developers to have more explicit uh opt-in and permission before they track them across websites or applications um and you know this is also i would say like a step beyond where at&t and verizon sit uh, where they they automatically subscribe they, they automatically put subscribers into interest groups but it's not necessarily tied to um, like a one-to-one -one type of matching. So, you know, you don't have to go out of your way as well, apparently to, um, uh, you know, to, to get that that detailed information um, from Verizon AT&T. So the story said, but, you know, if you're a T-Mobile user, it doesn't seem like it's also that hard to opt out. And if you are interested in opting out, uh, Engadget has the details on how to do so in just a few steps. But I think this is interesting, you know, just to see somebody who's like going completely the opposite direction with everything that's going on and just saying, oh, we're going to opt everybody in. We're going to be like selling this on the open market. There it is. I'm curious if they are selling this. It didn't say if they're selling it at an aggregated level or if they're selling it like a raw data set where they're sharing, um, you know, an advertising identifier or a hashed email or something uh, that can be used for specific and one-to-one -one targeting. But I would be interested in learning more about that. I mean, I, I find it a little bit shocking, but I also know that T-Mobile perhaps is just trying to look at other revenue strategies and, and monetize where uh, they may not have as high of a subscriber uh, monthly fee as Verizon and AT&T do. Um, but yeah, this is, this is very intriguing to me. I, you know, you kind of scratch your head, but what do you think? Yeah, I... I, I mean, I don't, you know, I think you've covered it well. And I guess my summary of it is, is that I think, I think we're going to see some interesting experiments, right? And, you know, who knows how long this type of thing that they've announced here is, is, or they've uncovered here is going to last, right? We know, you know, how much the industry has swung the other way when it comes to privacy, but, it, but I think maybe part of the reaction to that swing is that the industry is looking for other ways to 
get access to the data that you know is now much more difficult to get with you know what Apple's doing and Google's doing and everybody else is doing to limit the IDFAs and so on. So an alternative to that is is mobile operator data, right? Um, so there, therefore, it creates an opportunity for the industry, if they for that uh, part of the industry to kind of step up and say, hey, you know. Apple might be, you know, limiting this, and so you, you know, you're, you don't have access to that anymore. But, you know, we have a different way to kind of give you access to that, and um, and so, th so, so there's a window there, I think, to experiment, to play around with, to see if they can fill the void, right? That's coming, and so, so, I, so I think we're going to see a little bit of that. I know here in Canada, for example, Telus, which is uh, one of the the big three mobile operators, is also starting to uh, sell their you know, uh, anonymous tower data and things like that. So I think you're going to see this, right? I think people are, you know, looking for ways for, for solutions to get around, you know, the changes that are coming. And I think the mobile operators in general play, are going to play a role in that. Uh, how that manifests, what limits are going to be put on them, who knows, right? But I think at least in the short term, we're going to see them, you know, step up. And I wouldn't be surprised if AT&T, you know, and others tried to, to kind of come back into this in a different way again, either. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's sort of my reaction to it. I, I think it's, uh, it's sort of just part of the natural, you know, sort of fallout of what's, what's going on in the privacy industry right now. So yeah. there you go. All right. Final story, uh, not a big one, but an interesting one is uh, Clear Lake Capital Group has regained controlling interest uh, in Precisely. Now, uh, this is a big move in, in, in the overall location uh, ecosystem. It's a $3.5 billion deal. Um, and so it gives them access to Precisely's 12,000 customers. Um, and, uh, you know, this this is, uh, yeah, so SyncSort and... Um, Vision uh, so, uh, solutions came together to form precisely, um, and it now uh, and then they kind of went and did their own thing. And and Clearlink was originally a part of that deal, and then kind of got out of that deal, and now they're kind of coming back into the industry again. Um, so the, yeah, there, there's a lot sort of behind this. And Singsort, if you remember, who's part of that the, that twosome there. Um, came from the acquisition of Pitney Bowes location business, right? So there's there's a lot of location data history here. This is a very mature part of the industry, uh, with you know decades and decades of of background and history and data and customers and experience, mostly enterprise type stuff. You know, not so much in the ad space, but more in the sort of that enterprise, you know, sort of banking and finance and utility companies and telecom and big geospatial data and all of that. Um, so, you know, I, I think, you know, this is um, an interesting move. I don't have a lot to say about it at this point. It's a, you know, sort of it's a financial move uh, and an acquisition, but I think it shores up, you know, uh, this part of the of our industry in, in a very solid way. Um, and I, I suspect that, you know, there's an infusion of capital here that is going to allow precisely to go out and, and, you know, sort of, you know, roll up some other smaller companies into the portfolio um, in, in fairly short order. So uh, I've got some ideas on that. I'm not going to throw them out and speculate right now, but uh, I, th I think there's there's some companies out there that are struggling uh, and struggling because of the privacy changes that we just talked about. 
but have some interesting IP and some interesting tech talent and things like that that could be a good fit for um, what Precisely and, and Clear Lake, you know, uh, may be doing here. So I'll leave it at that. Any thoughts you have? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was thinking of years ago, there was a company called Mapponics that was acquired by Pitney Bowes, yeah. um, who had a lot of mapping software. Um, I think they sold to a lot of like the real estate, you know, companies like the Zillow's so that they could do the great schools type of mapping, you know, all of those different things. Um, and then they sold to Pitney Bowes. Pitney Bowes rebranded as Precisely. And then now this re, you know, reacquisition. And that's a lot of money. It's a big company. They have a lot of different products, a lot of different solutions that they're offering. And, and I do agree with you. I think we're going to see a lot more um, acquisitions of smaller companies in the future, you know, looking at like geospatial mapping, location data. Uh, there's probably a lot of a lot of companies that are going to be, um, I would say, you know, on the market very soon with low low price points because, uh, you know, their their revenue is going to be kind of uh, going down as their data goes down as well. So this will be yeah. interesting one to watch. Yeah, great great historical reference there. I I, I remember the early days of working uh, in the LBMA and and with uh, Darren Clement, who is the chairman of Maponics back in the day. Um, and, you know, just great company, you know, solid, uh, ex you know, guys with lots of experience in the industry, you know, doing, you know, they were really known for, you know, those sort of predefined geofences and things like that. And, uh, yeah, I, I, there's a lot of heritage in, in, in sort of inside of Precisely now with, you know, these acquisitions they've done over the years and the, and the, yeah. um, the data that they hold. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for them. So, yeah, amazing. So that's it. That's our show for this week. Four stories, um, a wide range of things there that we covered off. And uh, we, yeah, we just thank you for listening and watching. And, um, you know, please reach out to us if you have feedback, story ideas, um, criticism, whatever it is, we want it all. Um, let us know. And, uh, yeah, we'll, um, we'll be back with another show next week. So thank you, everybody. Uh, have a great week. You've been listening to episode 508 of Location Weekly, and we'll see you next week for 509. Bye. Bye.